And we're back. Anything on your mind? Um. What was that? Someone was yelling. Falcon, you want to check it out? I heard someone just like belt, like like a metal scream regular. Mm-hmm. Regular. Someone gave him <laughs> an extra large. <laughs> The regular kind. That's an odd thing to scream because usually yeah. regular is the default, not the thing you get passionate about. Uh-huh. It's like extra medium. Extra. Is there a size anywhere? Extra medium? Um, I think it's usually a parody. It's hard to think of what it would actually mean. Size in between medium and large? Well, that's the question. Is between medium and large or between medium and small? That's why it's ambiguous. Probably medium and large because it's extra medium and it's more medium. You won't though, I know. But I mean, like extra small. No, like head in, head in. Just do it. Okay. Another way. That was a, a Seth Godin rant about how there's kind of two ways to sell something. One is to be the regular kind, the thing that everyone expects. The other is to be the extraordinary kind. And either can work, but you have to know which one you're doing. Because if you are being the average, the mediocre, then you really need to be sort of extra mediocre. You have to eliminate all possible friends, frills, and costs, and complications to be as boring as possible as cheap as possible or as familiar as possible right I heard this quote from someone I can't remember who no one I knew personally but it was they laugh at me because I'm different I laugh because they're all the same that's good I guess that's the episode title extra medium (sighs) I think you're gonna stick to the robotic script JRP1, JRP2. Well, yeah, but they have a prefix, but then they have a title. Like, last one was JRP1 and then Transcendent Megazord. You know, you need some sort of hook to uh, attract the interest of the viewers. Right. And convey a sense of accomplishment. We have the ordinary part, and then we have the extraordinary part. Right, there's something both familiar for people to hook onto and something unusual to pique their interest. Right. So I like making relationships. Mm. First, you're not gonna approach them with like when you meet someone for the first time, you're not gonna go like, Hey, it's me, these are all the weird things about me that you should know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just weird. Unless that's the icebreaker. Right. But you approach them, then you start talking with them, and then you just ran. It's like a random thing. No one specifically asks, like, what are weird things about you? Mm-hmm. It just comes on in the conversation. Like, you can ask, what's your hobbies, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that. Like, what mm-hmm. do you do for a living? Right. You know my three questions, don't you? Whenever I have an interview or I'm meeting someone for the first time, I always ask them three questions, which is, where were you born? What did you study? Um, how did you get here? 
Well, I was... <laughs> well, I was born in, uh... What were they again? You don't remember? Questions. Um, the questions. Where were you born? What did you study? How did you get here? Ah. So, I was born in California. Hospital is Mountain View, but I grew up, I'm growing up in uh, Santa Clara, around the edge of San Jose. Great place to live. Very nice weather. Um, so from, you know, kindergarten I studied mostly uh, absolutely nothing. And in primary school I uh, really enjoyed not caring. It was, I was very passionate about that subject. Um, honestly, in, in uh, primary school, I didn't really have to try. So once I got into that was a that was a problem though, you know, because not doing work in a subject from third grade all the way until like fifth grade isn't a great work ethic to have. So I I didn't develop it, you know. Which was a lot of, which is pretty hard for sixth grade and seventh grade, right? It's hard to go through middle school without a good work ethic. Work ethic. But um, in middle school, I'm studying um, the phenomenon of how C stands for college and D stands for degree. And you have no clue what B and A stand for. Bum and anal retentive. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know what that meant. Hmm? I didn't hear that one. Anal retentive. What does that mean? Anal retentive. It actually goes back to Freud. Uh, I think poop. The idea is that they just hold on to anything. I don't actually know where the word originally means. Like they can't shit. <laughs> they just hold it in. <laughs> what? Something like that is that they're. They, they didn't fully learn potty training or something. And so the, the, the word, the connotation nowadays is someone who's really uptight and like has to get everything right. Uh, similar to what we refer to as type A. <coughs> is that what type A stands for? Uh, type A refers to actually um, more likely to get a heart attack. I believe that was the original classification. But now it means someone who's uptight. Well, it's someone who's like hard charging, uh, achievement oriented, mm. take no prisoners. Take no prisoners. That was actually the word I wanted to talk about today was the word formidable. Formidable. Yeah, I had a conversation with Andrew Isaacs, I think somewhere around here. Did you record that the, one? No, this is before everything was digital. Uh, this was before recording. It may have been before iPhones. <coughs> I'm not sure. Um, but the, the word formidable kind of related to the idea of a juggernaut. It's someone who, um, once they set their mind to do something, they will keep going until they achieve it. They are not easily swayed or dissuaded from accomplishing their objective. And it's not just stubborn. It means that, you know, they're not just going to be going after it pig-headedly whether or not they succeed is it implies that they are creative and adaptive and can't be trapped or misled intelligent determination yeah 
that's a good word. Um, but would be would that be the adjective, formidableness? Um, they. You, I mean the, you, the noun. Sorry. The, the noun formidable. For, formidability. Formidability probably. I don't hear it. I think I hear formidableness slightly more than I hear formidability, but I don't really hear either very often. Formidability makes me sound smarter. Mm-hmm. Okay. It makes you appear more formidable. But um, it's interesting to contrast type A, which is, um, I guess, usually a pejorative. Um, pejorative, I'm not familiar with that word. Oh, really? It means a using it in a negative sense, mm. as opposed to complimentary, mm. with an I. Uh, being formidable is a good trait in your allies and a dangerous trait in your enemies. <laughs> but it's definitely considered a virtue. Um, and it's, you know, if I had You're to... You're not going to tell someone it's bad who, if they're formidable. <laughs> Um, but the idea of being formidable implies that you accomplish what you set out to do. And the, I've, I've thought about this, I was thinking about this today. If I had to pick a single virtue to pursue, I think I would actually choose formidable because it kind of encompasses courage and adaptable curious, resilient, determined, determined. Um, well, my four virtues I always talk about is curiosity, agency, resilience, and empathy. And being formidable implies curious, uh, uh, agentive, I don't know what the adjective version of that. What? So curiosity, you know, um, what I do not yet know is more important than what I do know. Agency is I choose to take responsibility for what happens in my world and resilience is, you know, uh, comprehending the difference between good pain and bad pain, uh, like stamina. Um, interestingly, formidable actually does seem to be uh, the opposite of empathy, because formidable kind of implies you've chosen a goal and a, and a destination, and then you stick to it no matter what, including running roughshod over those who get in your way. You never stop to hesitate or question whether you should be doing this or whether it's too hard or not worth the effort. And I suppose that probably is my uh, most unmanageable weakness. Annoying virtue. Most annoying virtue, yes. So if it could be formidable and graceful at the same time, that would be something. If you could just be formidable, that would be something. I'm pretty formidable. It's just I'm formidable about obscure goals that people don't understand what I'm doing. I'm shivering in my timbers. Do you have any idea what that phrase even means? No. I don't know what shivering timbers <laughs> means. Like shivering implies scare, but shivering me timbers sounds like a euphemism for something fairly grotesque. Even that it's like a pirate saying. It is archaic enough that it doesn't cause problems. <coughs> I thought it was like quaking 
quake my boots or something. Quaking in my boots is definitely a, a, a synonym for fear. Right, but like shiver me, my shiver me timber is like quake me boots. That's what no, I thought. So no, I always heard it more in the context of like, shiver me timbers is like, uh, well, hang me or I'll be damned or something like that. It's definitely an, uh, a. Um, seems to have evolved from a strong negative curse. Well, I'm shivering in me timbers is... Well, shiver... Um, I'm shivering in my timbers is pretty funny thing to say. Yes. Pretty fun to say. Fun to say. Not Somebody who knows what it actually means is probably either cringing because we're abusing it or cringing because the literal implication of what you're saying is horrifying, but... One of the four people who watch it other than Thatha. So yeah, people who've expressed interest was um, Johan, um, my brother-in-law, yeah. and my cousin Deepak, actually. Mm. So, I don't know whether them actually will, but hey. If you guys are listening, shout out. Hey, leave a like, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Comment below. <laughs> Comment below. Hard to comment on the podcast. Make sure to, to ring the bell so you get updated on all of our new podcasts. All of Dad's new podcasts. And Thalthus. Hey, yeah. Thalthus. What's up, man? <laughs> That's for you. I feel like we should end on that. No. No. <laughs> we didn't talk about anything. <laughs> Just words. <laughs> Just words, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I talked about graceful and formidable. So formidable is like the main virtue formidable. that I pursue, and graceful is the the compliment that sets off some of the negative aspects of formidable. Yes. Of formidability. Have you ever thought about what word or adjective or virtue you would like to describe you? I would like to describe me. Mm-hmm. Not that I describe me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think so no you don't think I haven't thought about it you haven't thought about it what are adjectives that are there any compliments or adjectives people have used to describe you that you appreciated funny uh I got chipper one time that was pretty weird I was playing Charlie oh right oh you're a chipper young fellow after the show it's just like Okay. Yeah, the persona you had of Charlie was very earnest and cheerful and positive, right? Well, it's not me. I know. But you pulled it off. That's Frolic. Frolic is, yes. Of the three of us, he is the most earnest. Actually. No, well. That's not true. I'm, not, I'm actually very earnest. I'm not very chipper. Frolic is the most innocent. That's probably true. He's looking at the window right now thinking, these people. <laughs> if they only knew. <laughs> we had this, this is the last discussion I had with Uncle Johan before he left, was whether dogs ever feel resentment. Society, yeah. Or whether they just purely conform to their surroundings with no uh, anxiety or subconscious complications. Uh, anxiety. Well, plenty has anxiety. Severe. 
The question is whether he has suppressed anxiety or he just has expressed anxiety. I've seen Frolic, like, not suppress, but, like, restrain himself. Right. But I don't know if that's... Frolic, do you have suppressed anxiety? He says he doesn't. He says he expresses literally everything. Right. Like, in Secret Life of Pets 2, the dog was, like, had anxiety about the little boy going away into a dangerous world. But it wasn't suppressed. It wasn't suppressed because he was scratching himself. Well, but he... But he, he it, it was repressed as well it was it was it was um misexpressed in an unhealthy way mm. i wasn't misexpressed what was he avoiding? well he was like in danger of um like roughing up his skin because he was scratching himself too much right that's why he had to wear the cone of shame is that he was engaging in an unhealthy coping mechanism which could cause him physical damage well i don't know if it was coping it wasn't like I'm I'm uh, anxious, so I have to do this to make me feel better. It was just like a I'm anxious, so I'm gonna do this as a tribal thing to signal to my tribe or whatever. I don't know. Well, that, well, that's the point, though, is that uh, signaling to the tribe is basically um, an externalization of an inward emotion, and that is in fact a well. The thing is, is that if it was an effective coping mechanism, that would mean it was sending the appropriate signal that, was being res that people would then receive and respond to. And then they would, like, crying is a useful signaling mechanism because it means that you're vulnerable and you're in need and people will come and comfort you, right? That's the whole point of Inside Out. Right. Is that Sarah has that. But then scratching yourself, people don't naturally think, oh, he's anxious and needs to be comforted. So it's an inappropriate coping mechanism. That's why we use the term coping mechanism rather than a coping strategy. Strategy. Coping tactic. Coping tactic, yeah. Or even a coping tactic, yeah. And, um, like, and that was just a movie, but, you know, one can, like, they talk about how dogs can use eustress, which is good stress, like when they yawn to release stress, um, versus, um, like Quinny, um, like when Quinny and Frolic, uh, were you know pre uh, the, before the fall of the Berlin Wall, right? Where they were kept in separate uh, enclaves perpetually. Um, one of the things we wanted to teach Frolic was that, and Quinny is that when Frolic approached Quinny too much, Quinny would get upset and he would growl and express it as aggression, uh, his fear, insecurity, or whatever. And then Frolic um, had to learn to submit to that and and be passive in order to allow Quinny to feel safe, uh, which was expedient, but ideal, of course, would be for Quinny to learn to self-manage his stress. So Quinny was using frolic to manage his aggression, just like he uses me to manage his anxiety. And that's why we talk about doing the step on leash and doggy mindfulness to teach him to manage his own stress. he has an opinion on this um on the subject of ma management of your emotions yeah he just feels yeah oh man and okay dude that's literally it the cappy mm -hmm. oh man this sucks why can't I do this he wants to get like kind of whine mm -hmm. like oh I want to do this or Oh, I want to go there? 
or a, oh, this sucks, man, I could be there, or I'm sad now because Quinny's left, or I, or Josh is left. Right. He, he also, he also, he can express impatience. Yeah. Like when he climbs up on his grooming table and starts barking because he expects to be brushed. Or he expects magnets. Yeah, I don't know why he's eating magnets now. He's just trying to conduct a science experiment down there, man. I think he wants to have a magnetic personality. Or my magnetic digestive tract. <laughs> Does he have an iron deficiency? We give him a tablet that has freaking like literally shark cartilage in it. I read the label, <laughs> shark cartilage, on in the tablet. It That's was, almost a better episode title than extra medium. Shark cartilage. <laughs> well, like I said, it's another form of management. You know. A what? Uh, a tablet, a supplement. Yes. Drugs, medication. Drugs, drugs. <laughs> right. Well, the, I guess the difference is presumably that shark cartilage drugs. That's a good time. Shark cartilage drugs. Yeah. It sounds like a quack medicine that people would have taken to increase virility. Supposedly. Yeah. Wouldn't I? But, but, but beneficial a quack medicine. Quack. Like a joke medicine? Uh, quack was a derogatory term, a pejorative. Is it just someone who can't pronounce crack? No. It, it was uh, the um, pejorative form of doctor is a quack. So back in the days before formal medicine training, um, I guess in the Wild West, at least in the musicals and movies I've seen, you would have people uh, peddling patent medicines where they like patented a certain extract or whatever and then they would sell that to people saying it would cure their ills and they would be denounced as quacks. You're not a real doctor, you're just a quack. So what would be a real doctor back then? Hmm? Someone who had actually been to, um, uh, actually, there were schools of medicine, right? MD was a doctorate that was around for a long time, even though in the 1700s it was pretty horrific. Um, the I guess really John Harvey in the in the in the English speaking world was the first sort of real doctor who like actually understood how blood worked and didn't just bleed his patients to relieve pressure. Before that, it was all sort of Aristotelian medicine, uh, which was oh you have a common cold let's bleed you out. It was humorous and vials. You have excess of this bile or a deficiency of this. I like your bike. Uh, interestingly, I discovered that salad was invented based on that. Humors and laws? This, this, this sort of Aristotelian theory of earth, air, fire, and water is that there's different elements in the body in the body, and then the primary way to balance those elements was by what you ate. <laughs> and so that salads, which I think were sort of like earth and water, would balance the fire and air of the, the, the body. Right. Or the body, yeah, whatever. So... Frolic, you appear to have an opinion on this matter. Did you want to weigh in? We should go home. Okay, that was his opinion. Should we keep recording or are we done? We can keep recording. All right, let's head back. <sighs> you know, it's, it's not actually true that you didn't study much in primary school, right? You uh, periodically had math obsessions, right? When you were like doing math problems in Indian restaurants. And when they had a math competition. It's an Indian restaurant. There's literally nothing else to do. Than math problems? Yes. <laughs> the food wasn't there yet. 
Well, yes, but you could have drawn, you could have played... Uh, it's an Indian restaurant. You had a piece of paper that you were able to write on, and you chose to use it for math problems. It, it, it could be that the done thing to do was to do math problems just to deliver to the stereotype. It's, an, it's Indian paper, though, so I, you know, I had to. I had to, okay. Had to. You were constrained by your heritage and of the cultural course. expectations yeah. around you. Yeah. No, I just, um... Yeah, I mean, so you had an interest in that one point calculations. I liked um, how the numbers like went together nicely. Mm. When you had like pre-constructed problems. Yeah. Um, but it was like, like that was fun. Mm-hmm. Now when it's like, like all the freaking equations, it's just like this is too much work for fun. <laughs> yeah, algebra. I'd uh, rather I'd rather just do long division than do this. Interesting. Uh, one of the education reformers I know is on a crusade to get rid of algebra as a college requirement. It's a good. It's a good skill to have. It's a very useful skill but to it's have. It's very boring to learn. Yeah, I mean, the question is, is that he, his argument, I think, is that it's become sort of a um, a right. sorting function. People who are good at, at uh, we we want as a culture to reward those who are good at abstract symbol manipulation. And so we say, you must have this or you're considered a failure. Um, you know, it's the things that society decides to place emphasis on. And even though it's, it's, it's one thing to make it a useful skill that you may want to acquire, it's another than make it sort of a shibboleth. Are you familiar with the term shibboleth? No. It comes from a story in the Bible where I think the Benjamites were being uh, chased by the other tribes. And so... They were trying to keep them all from sneaking back into the where they'd been chased out of. And so they posted guards at the river crossing, and they would ask them to say the word shibboleth. And I forget which way was which, but if you, the, the, everyone else pronounced it shibboleth, but they pronounced it sibboleth, because that was just their variant of the language. And because of that, uh, if anyone said, if you say, okay, pronounce the word shibboleth, and they said sibboleth, but, you'd kill them. If you heard pronounce the word, if you say pronounce the word shibboleth, wouldn't they just think, oh, shibboleth? I'll say shibboleth. I don't know. If they... Tablet? The the idea is that if it's like your tribal language, you just can't not pronounce it that way. I don't know if that was true or not, or if they wrote it down first and had them read it, or what the deal was. But anyway, that's the story. And so the word shibboleth has come to mean uh, like a tribal identifier. It's like the thing, the fact that you can or do do this means you're one of us or not, and either we accept you in with open arms or we kill you. Uh, so and it's like a defining trait of the civilization. Yeah. Or a subculture. Yeah. Subculture, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the idea is that every tribe has its shibboleths that they use to identify who's in and who's out. That's pretty good for, um, you ever have like a coffee apocalypse or whatever, you know? Coffee apocalypse? Coffee apocalypse. When you, um... Uh, there's this one movie watched, so. no, 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 one movie I watched where a bunch of these like shape-shifting aliens mm-hmm. came to the planet and like yeah. took over people. Sure. But they had to determine who was alien and who wasn't. Uh-huh. So they had like little tests. Because it was all friend groups, right? They were all in friend groups. Yeah. So they had like little tests to determine. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was like first one at the beginning of the movie so you could tell what the right answer was. Mm-hmm. And when they answered wrong, it was just like a like a stare down. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what's my favorite fruit? I mean, like mm-hmm. peaches, but it's actually oranges. And yeah. everyone's just like, uh... And then they explode what, what violence, or... Yeah. Someone, someone, like, threw a tomahawk from behind the hedge. 
<clears throat> but it's a good, I mean, Shivaleth is a good thing to have when you're confused about who's part of your circle and who isn't. Right, and... But it's not a very good thing to have if you're not part of the circle. Well, yeah, that's the problem, right? Is that tribalism helps us survive because you want to know who's going to have your back when the chips are down. But the danger is that we live in civilization and we need to be able to get along with people who are not part of our local tribe. And so we have all these complicated rituals and rules for sort of managing tribalism. And... We're not in the tribal stage anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is the... the that's a um, spore reference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's... Uh, right, and Sorry. to evolve out of the tribal stage, you have to learn how to do perform the, uh, the dances or calling or signaling that can actually win you friends from other tribes, right? Isn't that the way you transcend tribalism? Yeah. Pretty much. Either you kill everyone around you, or you or you make friends with them. Yep. It's just a way to further your growth. Because if you make friends with them, they'll give you resources and stuff. Mm -hmm. If you kill them, you can just take the resources. Yeah. Right. But the question, of course, is also, what is the thing that you are trying to propagate, right? Because if you are trying to propagate your genes, then it makes sense to kill everyone else so yeah, you get the so resources. Yeah, it's just your genes. Right, but if you're trying to propagate your memes, you know, some sort of transcendent value, then it makes sense to befriend them and recruit them into your uh, diverse mimetic empire. That was one of the surprising things I learned was that empires appear to have preceded kings. It was more common to have an emperor than it was to have a king. An or, emperor? I thought it was an umpire. No. An empire. An emperor. Emperor? Nowadays we call him a Caesar. <laughs> Someone who commands the umpire. <laughs> That's pretty crooked. The Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire? Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, because apparently like people don't generally like having their own king. It, it's an unnatural thing. Some argue that humanity evolved uh, in egalitarian groups. Egalitarian. Where you have, like most mammals that live in groups have like one breeding pair or one breeding male and everyone else is subservient. Um, but... Oh, the alpha. Yeah, the alpha. Alpha male. And the humanity is uniquely equipped to uh, get rid of an alpha male um, by the group as a whole sort of stoning them. I think chimps do something similar. Probably uh, fling poo at them. Yeah. But the idea is actually being able to throw projectile weapons means that one big strong guy can't defeat a bunch of wimps. Is that distance in numbers uh, overcompensates for greater individual strength. I don't know, man. If you have a really big boulder, I think you could do it. Well, the thing is, is it depends. If you're smart enough to surround him in multiple sides, one big boulder isn't enough. What if they aren't? Well, yeah, then you have to be... You, so you not only have to be able to... You have to have both distance and mobility. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, that's the classic David and Goliath formula. If there's a big, strong guy, you need lots of, lots of little small guys who can move around fast and strike from a distance. Hit him between the eyes. Yeah. Um, shark cartilage drugs, was that the... Yeah. Yeah. 
Didn't have much to do with the talk, but yeah. It's um the Get him in. <laughs> what, what what is the vitamin? What is the what is the thing that you need to succeed? That was that's sort of a theme of this. I guess. You know, being formidable. And graceful. Shibboleths, teamwork, whatever. Right, yeah, shibboleths. You need algebra to succeed. You need algebra. Stay in school, kids. Mic drop.